everybody, and welcome to Criminal Discourse Podcast. We are loving having you listening today. Trish, how's your week going? It's good. It's been really hot. Here on the East Coast, I think more than half the country, we're under that heat advisory. Heat index feels like it's 115 degrees outside. So I happen to be reading the news today, and I think this... I came across this post. I don't know if anybody's seen it. They had it out on CNN. But the Braintree Police Department in Massachusetts put out a posting on their Facebook to all criminals. And it said, folks, due to the extreme heat, we are asking anyone thinking of doing criminal activity to hold off until Monday. It is straight up hot as soccer balls out there. Conducting criminal activity in the extreme heat is next level henchman status, but also very dangerous. (laughs) Stay home. Blast the AC. Bend Stranger Things. Season 3. Play with the Face app. Practice karate in your basement. We will meet again on Monday when it's cooler. Sincerely, the Popo. P.S. Please no spoiler alerts. We're just finishing season two. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that pretty well captures it. Yes. So we decided that with this hot, hot, hot day, we would come and sit in the studio and bang out some some murders. So we can be as hot in the studio as we are outside. (laughs) So what do you have for us this week, Maddie? So this week, we're going to Florida. To celebrate the heat, we're going to Florida. I think where it's, it's appropriate. Always hot. So we are in Summerfield, Florida, and it is March of 2011. Where is Summerfield? I believe it's close to the Tampa area. Okay. I think it's in that, but I haven't looked it up on a map. That's just my geographical intuition. Got it. It's telling me it's pretty close to Tampa. Are you double checking me right now? I am double checking you right now. I think it might even be, I want to say Hillsborough County, but that could it be. It is Hillsborough County. I do know that from your note. It's northwest of Orlando. Okay. So yeah. So that's where we are. Just a little bit north of Disney World. Locale wise, we're in Summerfield. It doesn't seem to be a particularly high income area. It seems more like lower to middle class. And there is this double wide that's being rented by a Charlie Ely. Now, Charlie is a female. She's 18. And this would be what we consider a flop and or trap house. So a lot of young people live in there. We've got Michael Bargo, who is 18, who is a an aspiring tattoo artist and artist I'm doing air quotes because he's doing it like out of his bedroom. He doesn't he can't get employed anywhere as a tattoo artist. He's pretty much just tattooing people. Please tell me he cleans the needles and wears gloves. I always get a little worried when people do the homemade stuff. Well, I've seen the pictures of this house. I don't think there was anything clean. I would not go there to get a tattoo. I would just like to then put out an alert to anybody that had a tattoo done there. Go get tested for hep C. (laughs) Yeah, my daughter just realized this weekend that I have a tattoo and she did not understand. She was trying to like wipe it off of me. It's like, no, I'm sure people would like to be able to do that for some choices they've made for tattoos. See, that's why I got one on the back of my neck, because then my my logic was, number one, it's hard to cover. Number two, if I get sick of it, I don't really have to look at it. Yeah, that's good logic. Yeah, for a 15-year-old, which is how old Wait, I was when I got my tattoo. How did you get a tattoo at 15? I thought you had to, Did you get parental permission? Yeah, you've met my parents. I have met your parents. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so we've got Charlie, Michael, who's 18, Justin, who's 20, and Kyle, who's 17. So this is a, a group of friends. And really, Charlie had them living there because her husband was in prison at the time, I believe, for theft. And so they were kind of helping out with rent so she could have enough money because I don't know that she was really working at the time. So who was dealing drugs out of the house? I don't even know. I think Michael was dealing some drugs because there was some talk later about like prescription drug selling out of the house, that type of thing. But I think it was mainly drug use. I'm not really sure. It wasn't like they were bringing them in. They weren't putting them out. 
Yeah. Or not on a regular like business basis. They weren't making any money off of it, I don't think. And then Kyle has a sister, Amber. So Amber doesn't live in the house, but she's definitely part of this friend group. And she's 15 at the time. If you see where this house is located, it is a somewhat secluded area. So it's on like a regular street and there are neighbors across the street. But around is it like it, a trailer park? No, like where they no, have no. lots? It's just like oh. a trailer, like a double wide and then woods around it so the whole situation the whole setup like as you're reading about this these kids and where they're living it makes me think a lot of shameless have you watched shameless yes so it's basically these teenagers running around doing whatever they want on bicycles a lot of times with very little accountability yes yeah and there's not doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of parental structure I mean they have parents obviously and they are involved in their lives but they're also just all living in this double wide so in December of 2010 Amber starts dating this boy named Seth and he's 15 as well and they dated for about three months and apparently there was a lot of fighting and jealousy which is completely normal 15 year old stuff but also some drug use which I don't consider all that normal at 15 but apparently the drug use didn't help things it just became very volatile now at the same time Seth and Michael who is again part of this friend group they do not get along and we don't really know kind of how it started if they just got off on the wrong foot and then couldn't stand each other I think there was a lot of maybe Michael being kind of into Amber and Seth picking up on it and it just was not going well and when Amber and Seth break up Seth thinks it's because of Michael so of course he's Amber broke up with Seth yes so when Amber breaks up with Seth Seth believes that it's because of Michael and so he's very upset about this and he thinks that Michael and Amber are sleeping together and and Amber fueled the fire telling Michael and Kyle her brother a 15 year old fueled drama what I know that Seth was physically abusive to her so we still don't know how true this is and it seems more like Amber was pitting guys against each other for the attention she's 15 she must I find that shocking She must live in a perpetual state of drama. That's the only way 15-year-olds can live, correct? I believe so, yes. Yes. I was 15 once, but I don't remember it that well. I think we all were. (laughs) (laughs) One time, all of us were 15. (laughs) If you haven't been 15 yet, you should not be listening to this podcast. True. Over the next few weeks after this breakup, there were a few confrontations between Kyle and Seth and Michael and Seth, but it didn't seem like there was anything very physical at this point. And everyone has different versions of what this looked like and who was instigating who. And you can see in some interviews around this situation that everybody's going to say something different. So one person will say, well, Seth would show up at Mike's house and others would say, well, Mike would barge into Seth's place. And it was just kind of back and forth for a few weeks. At some point after this breakup, Amber and Michael start sleeping together. And according to Amber, after the fact, it was really just to get Seth all riled up about it and make him even more upset. And Michael had other girlfriends at this time. Michael denies to this day that they were sleeping together. I got a lot of the information around this case from the trial itself because a lot of it was recorded and so if you really just want to shoot yourself in the foot you can take two hours and watch Michael tell this story I could not get through an hour of it this was him testifying on the stand yes yes I couldn't even get through an hour of it and even the hour that I did watch I had to break it up into pieces because I couldn't I just wanted to smack him the whole time I don't know why his lawyer thought it was a good idea for him to get on the stand I just don't understand he's like slouched back and trying to tell this story but it doesn't make any sense and they call hearsay on him like I think 15 times it's just it's a hot mess but if you really want to see it it's out there so anyway during the cross of this 
testimony, the prosecutor is asking him about his relationship with Amber and insinuating or just straight out saying that they were sleeping together. And he's like, well, no, we never slept together. We were just friends. Because my understanding, even though she was 15 and he was 18, it's not statutory because there's not a four-year age difference between them. Right. So if it wasn't... Was, right. If he was 19 or 20, perhaps. So he wouldn't have been incriminating himself. I'm not sure really why he won't admit that they were together, but it's funny because so the prosecutor is saying, well, you weren't sleeping together, but don't you have her initials tattooed on your thigh? And he's like, well, yeah. And doesn't she have your initials tattooed on her pubic bone? <laughs> that had to be painful. And she's like, well, yeah, but that doesn't mean anything. No, I think it pretty much does. Yeah, I, I have friends, so. but I don't have their initials tattooed on my body. Yeah, I'm not getting your initials tattooed on me, and especially not in that private of an area, Trish, and as vice, much as I love you. Vice versa. <laughs> I'm glad we're on the same page we're on in the our same friendship page on that one. <laughs> so after this time, too, there's a lot of Facebook back and forth between Amber and Seth. So them calling each other out, him accusing her of being a meth addict and a slut and her saying it takes a real man to accept being broken up with. You're also 15. Correct. You're both 15. I think his postings were probably a little more damning than hers. <laughs> I think so. At some point in this mix, Kyle, who again is Amber's brother and has been having altercations with Seth, his girlfriend Alyssa breaks up with him via text. So he starts throwing a fit and is very upset about this and he goes over to her place to talk to her. Well, when he gets there, do you want to guess who he finds in her bed? For a hundred, Alex, I'm going to say, who is Seth? Yes. Ding, 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 ding. Kyle's reaction to finding Seth in his girlfriend's bed is he steals his bike. Now, when you say bike, and I know he's 15, you mean bicycle, right? Yes. I mean a bicycle. Yeah. And it's just reminders through this whole story. Like, these are kids. Yeah. He just stole his bike. That's the best resolution to that problem so did he end up putting it in his car and taking it away he didn't have a car he just rode it away he stole a mode of transportation is what you're saying that happened to be a huffy okay i don't even think it was a huffy i think it was like the off-brand the off-brand version of a huffy yes so that's what he stole again in michael's testimony about this he's telling this story and he says that, you know, Kyle came home with this bike and Michael was trying to be his moral compass and explain to him that stealing is not okay and that is not the right way to deal with the problem. Ironically, at this time, Michael had already been charged and convicted. Well, Michael had already been charged with two felonies, one for burglary of a dwelling and a second for grand theft. And again, in and the, that's the moral compass. Yes, he is the moral compass that says stealing is not OK. And the prosecutor in the cross of Michael, she goes, have you ever been convicted of a felony? And Michael's answer is, I don't know if I've been convicted. My understanding is that I was adjudicated. Yes, adjudicated guilty because he was a juvenile correct at the time he was a juvenile but i just love his reaction everything in this testimony is well that's not my understanding it wasn't my understanding it wasn't my understanding and it's just this is why it's so important kids to stay in school and maybe don't commit felonies don't commit felonies (laughs) and stay in school and get an education in april of 2011 so it's been about a month amber texts seth and says that they have to talk and she just wants them to be together again. And he even responds that if she has him jumped, he'll never talk to her again and it'll be goodbye. But she convinces him to come to Charlie's house, which is again where all of them are living in this double wide. Honestly, I don't know 
what she said to get him there because he knew that Michael and Kyle were living there unless she just convinced him that they weren't home because why would he put himself in that situation? I wouldn't think he would, but he's also a 15-year-old boy. That's true. And you, I guess you never really... Anyway, we'll see what happens here. So Seth gets there. Charlie opens the door and shows him into the living room. When he comes in, Kyle and Justin come out from a back room and start beating him in the head with wooden objects, a two by four and an axe handle. They're beating him and Michael shoots him twice. Somehow he gets away and runs out the front of the house and into the front yard and Justin comes out, tackles him and Michael shoots him again in the back of the head. Are there neighbors like across the street or or on this street that they live on? I know they're surrounded by woods, but are there neighbors close by? Yes, there's neighbors directly across from them and I think so on the sides it's not like a thick wooded area i think there may be some trees but there's on either side of them there are neighbors kyle and justin drag him back into the house and take him to the bathtub continuing to beat him in the process and once in the bathtub they break both of his knees and michael shoots him several more times and it's at this point that he passes on Once Seth is passed on, they place his body in a sleeping bag, and that's why they broke his knees in the first place, so they'd be able to fit him into this bag. And they set up a bonfire to burn his body. They clean the house with bleach, and once his body is burned, they place the remains into five-gallon paint buckets. They hide the buckets in a dumpster until the next day, and then they get Kyle and Amber's stepdad to come and help them because none of them had a car, to help them tie the buckets to cinder blocks and then throw them into a rock quarry that was not too far off. Did the stepdad have any clue that they were going to do this, that this boy's life was going to be in danger. When we hear later on as sort of the aftermath of all of this, the stepdad was there the day before at the house in the afternoon and heard the kids talking about this plan to kill Seth. And in his words, he left because he felt uncomfortable. Okay, so here's another (laughs) criminal discourse addition to what we talked about in Susan Reinhart. Besides, if you have somebody telling you they think somebody's going to kill someone or they're telling you they're going to kill someone, if you overhear a conversation where people are plotting to kill someone, that also is an opportunity to call the police or notify the victim. Yeah. From the little bit of interviews that I've seen with him, I think either he was somewhat simple or he may have also had some drug and alcohol problems mixed in there. And I don't I don't think that he was in a right mind when all this is happening, which you would have to assume. How could you be knowing that your kids are going to kill this kid and then showing up to help them get rid of the body? Well, if you're morally bankrupt, that's true. So when Seth doesn't return home the next day, his mom files a missing persons report and they start to show it on the local news. So Kyle sees this on the news the next morning and says to his mom, that boy isn't missing. I saw him be killed. He left out the part where he participated in the murder. Yeah, no, he didn't say that. He just said, I saw him be killed. And that is a direct quote. So his mom takes him down to the police station right away with no idea that he's actually helped kill this kid and his first version is that Seth showed up out of the blue and that when he came in Kyle hit him with a stick and told him to get the bleep 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 out of the house and then all of a sudden Mike starts shooting Seth. Amber because they bring Amber in at the same time to talk to her she says that Seth came in and that Kyle hit him and that she and Charlie ran into Charlie's bathroom and heard gunshots. They fell asleep and stayed there until morning and when they came out the next day the house smells like bleach. So they see him being assaulted They run into her bedroom, Charlie's bedroom, shut the door. They hear the gunshots. And given that there were multiple gunshots multiple times, they felt after the first round of gunshots, they were tired 
and needed to go to sleep. Yes. Can we stop with the, I saw something awful or I heard something awful or I did something awful and then I went to sleep? Just stop it. It's ridiculous. It makes you sound silly. And the police never believe it anyway. So I take it the police didn't believe her story. No, the police did not believe her story. So the detectives take Kyle away to talk to him one-on-one because up until this point, he's been in the room with his mom kind of answering these general questions. And he's got to be an easy target. If you've already started by telling his mom that Seth was murdered, and now he's starting to tell the story, it's just the detective's dream criminal because they know that they're going to get it out of him. And I will say that out of all of these kids, He does seem the most remorseful about what happened, just even in his reactions to interview, like to his initial interrogations to during the court time, like he does seem truly remorseful for this. So the detective comes back in and starts laying into Amber and calling her on the obvious lies that she's been telling based on the fact that Kyle already gave up this information. Now, did she have a parent present also because she was a minor? She had a parent present in the beginning. Well, they have the same mom, their brother and sister. So their mom was in the room. And then the detective asked if she could speak to Amber separately. And it's at that point that she starts to kind of lay into her a little bit more. But if you understand the mom's perspective, too, right. I mean, the mom had no idea and no idea that their her kids could even do this. I think that's the other piece, because when you see her, she's just in shock. I don't think she had any idea to what extent they were involved in what happened. So Amber ends up pretty much telling the story of what happened. And then they put Charlie, Amber, and Kyle into an interrogation room where they don't know that they're being filmed. I'm sorry, I'm going to stop right there. Anytime you're in an interrogation room in a police department, unless you're with an attorney, it's going to be recorded, just like prison phone calls. It's going to be recorded. So they don't give much incriminating themselves in this section where there's just the three of them but you do see them sort of realizing what's happening and the repercussions of what they've done and I love Amber's quote she goes I'm not gonna get out until I'm like 20 and then it cuts to when you see the interrogation videos it cuts to the detective coming back in and saying so you're each gonna be charged with capital murder and it's just they had no they just thought they were gonna be let go Yeah, I think they pretty much thought, well, this would be considered like assault or something to that effect. And they were going to be in for a few years in a GV center and then be out. Did the police, I mean, once they found out what happened to Seth, were the police able to recover some of his remains? Yes. So I think they recovered pretty much everything. They found all five buckets. Now, there were some remains that had been left in the bonfire area, but they were able to collect most of it. And this whole time, like when they're telling this story and even talking about the planning and what had happened, they're all saying that it was Michael's plan, that Michael had had enough of Seth. He was over it. He wanted him to be done and that it started with, well, we're going to attack him. And then it turned into, no, we need to kill this guy we need to murder him and have they ever said why he i mean besides being not friends with this kid why murder like was it jealousy over amber that he feel he needed to get seth out of the way because seth was causing amber some distress and discomfort because they were going back and forth on facebook i mean in the end of the day it's ridiculous and there is no justification for it but i'm just curious as to as to why yeah and i really don't know i mean there was definitely an accumulation of different events that built up anger but I'm not sure why they thought that murder would be the solution I I really don't know but it does seem like when you see how they react to it I don't think that they it's almost like they didn't understand that murder is murder 
it's final. Right, exactly. It's almost as illegal and immoral. Just throwing all that out there. But they almost treated it as if we're just going to attack him. And I don't think they thought through the fact that this is truly ending this person's life. Well, and they were kids. Their frontal lobes are not fully developed. They're kids. Like their thought processes aren't fully formed. And you throw drugs into the mix on top of that and being teenagers... That can be a deadly combo. Obviously, it became a deadly combo for for Seth. So in the aftermath of all of this, Charlie Ely was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for having known what was going to happen and having let Seth into the house and also for participating in discarding the body. And it's so insane. So they said while this bonfire is going on where this poor kid's body is being burned, apparently they were just standing around like, drinking beers and smoking cigarettes and partying around this body. It's just so insane to me. I can't, it's hard for me to come to grasp with this, with them being able to do this to this person. So she is currently appealing using the lawyer who represented Casey Anthony, Jose Baez. Am I saying that right? Mm -hmm. Baez? Yes, Baez. Justin took a plea deal for a life sentence without parole because he was trying to avoid the death penalty because he was 20 and we're in Florida. Right. Smart move. And it was just so heinous and callous and immoral and inhumane. Yes. Kyle was sentenced to life. He was 17 at the time and therefore eligible for parole, I believe, after 40 years because because of law. I think just in Florida, at least. Well, I think now in Pennsylvania, if you are a minor, even though you're being tried as an adult and you're convicted, you can't get the death penalty and or life without possibility of parole. Yes. Amber was sentenced to a life sentence as well, was 15 at the time, and is therefore eligible for parole, I believe, again after 40 years. And just when you think about in that interrogation room and her saying, I'm not going to be out until I'm like 20. Make that 55. Yes. And you can actually see her. So on Netflix, they added Pierce Morgan's Killer Women, I think it's called. And they did an episode on her. And their turn on it was that Amber was planning this the whole time. And so that it wasn't Michael per se. It was Amber who was, again, for lack of a better term, a mastermind of this crime, stoking them all up that they needed to get rid of him. Yeah. And again, that's their take on it. Now, from what they say, that sounds exactly what it was, that she was, that's why she was telling them that he had been abusing her. Then he was, she was sleeping with Seth and getting Kyle all riled up about everything. Like she was the instigator there. Michael, so he was sentenced to the death penalty, but this is being resentenced, I think over the next few months here. At the time, The death penalty vote was 10 to 2, but recently the Florida law changed and you cannot be sentenced to the death penalty unless it's a 12 for 12. So unless a full consensus, yes, a full consensus. If not, then you cannot get the death penalty. Now, James Havens. Now, this is the stepdad who helped them dispose of the body. He pled guilty to accessory after the fact. And in his testimony in Michael's trial, he stated that not only did he dispose of the body, but again, the evening before the murder, he had been invited over to hang out and the teens were talking about the plan to lure Seth and kill him and James left because again he was uncomfortable. So that is the very sad sad story of Seth Jackson and his murder. Life lessons? Again I kind of go back to if you hear about it say something to someone perhaps this could have been avoided. I look at Charlie and I'm like this was your home. Hmm. Granted you invited these people to live with you for doesn't sound like were any of them working. So I know that Kyle was working at a McDonald's. And again, Michael was an aspiring tattoo artist slash 
peddling some drugs on the side. Right. What about Justin? Justin, I don't know. We couldn't really find anything on Justin. A lot of the information we get from the trials and the appeals, but because he took a plea right away. There was no trial. There was no trial. And I don't think that he gave much testimony Mm -hmm. either that was actually used in the other's trials. Mm -hmm. So we couldn't really get, I mean, you can see his picture, but other than that, it's really hard to get any information on him. So for my life lessons, don't let your teenagers hang out and live in a house full of drugs, alcohol, and hostility. Because again, apparently it's a deadly mix. And when you hear firecrackers and then see a bonfire or someone putting a huge tarp into a trunk of a car, call the police. Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate because we did talk about that. This, again, this was a drug flop house and slash trailer. And these kids probably partied a lot and partied all the time. So it wasn't uncommon probably for neighbors around them to hear them partying. And it could have just been like, look at them, they're at it again. They're drinking because you said they were standing around the fire drinking beers. You know, they're setting off firecrackers. Granted, the tarp in the trunk would be the red flag for me on that one. But for the most part, if they carried on like typical teens do with drugs and alcohol involved, that might not have been out of the norm for them. That's true. Maybe I just don't have enough neighbors that are drug no, you live, in, teens. you live in a nice development, so no, you don't. <laughs> Do you know that when I was younger, the house that we lived in, the house right across the street was a meth lab? I didn't know that. Did yeah. I ever tell you about the neighbor I had in the town? Ta- I had an apartment and I had this neighbor. He was an older gentleman. He was a Vietnam vet and he'd always sit out on his front stoop. And I would see people come and pay short visits, a lot of short visits, all times of the day and night. And I'm thinking, this guy either has a lot of friends or he's a drug dealer. Well, here I had moved out and it was about a month later, he was murdered. He was stabbed to death. And here it comes out in the news. You find out he was an informant for the police, but he was also a drug dealer. So I was correct on these short visits. He was dealing drugs out of his house, but then turning around and being an informant to the police on other, I guess, drug dealers or who was buying his drug. Hmm. You never know. I'm really glad that we don't live in those houses anymore. That is correct. (laughs) Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in this week and listening to our podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe to whatever media you're using to listen to our podcast today. And you can also get more information on our Facebook page, our Twitter handle, at CriminalPod. Thank you again for listening. Thanks, guys. And we'll see you next week. Remember to stay safe, but also be kind. Bye. Bye.